All right, everybody, welcome uh, back to a special second edition this week of From the Other Sideline. Uh, because TCU is playing in a national championship game, we're going to go ahead and talk to two national experts um, for to preview this matchup between TCU and Georgia. Uh, we heard from Ryan Nani earlier in the week, and then I had to had to reach out to the biggest hit to toad fan that I know. Um, <laughs> and it's somebody that has graced us with his presence presence on the Frogs Today set uh, earlier this year. He's been in, he's covered a couple of TCU games. And I feel like he knows this program just about as well as anybody. And also knows what it's like to play in a national championship as a relatively big underdog. So <laughs> now he had a little bit of a blue blood status behind him, uh, but still thought it was relatable. Uh, so Mike Golick Jr., thank you so much for taking a few minutes and, and hopping on to talk TCU Georgia with us. Thanks for having me. Tough act to follow with Ryan. I heard the pod earlier, so I'll do my best to live up to the uh, full cast representation on this I, podcast. I, listen, we're all running second place when it comes to the full full cast crew, you know, but but it's, it's funny that you bring that up because the reason that I reached out to you initially, uh, other than you're just, you're fantastic, is that uh, you had a couple of things. Number one, you talked to our own Parker Fleming, Stats of War, um, on your uh, podcast, Go- Gojo Show, uh, which I thought was just an exceptional conversation between both of you guys. It was great. It was super entertaining. But then I also listened to you a couple of days late on God Bless Football with Stu Gotts. And you really drew a comparison between uh, TCU's run to the national championship game this year against Georgia with your Notre Dame team's run 10 years ago now, I believe, uh, to the national championship against Alabama. Now, obviously, we're hoping things go a little bit differently on the field. No offense. But uh, there were some really interesting parallels. And so I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, on how you see some similarities between that Notre Dame team and this TCU team. And also just what this lead up to a national championship game is like from a player perspective. Yeah, so I it, it was just funny because I remember sitting around after TCU had won and starting to do the math, and I purposely didn't tweet because I knew the Peach Bowl was coming up. Ohio State very much had a chance to win like we saw, and so I didn't want to get too far ahead, but I started looking at TCU season, and I went, huh. So they started the season unranked, won a bunch of very closely contested games, were known, I think, largely for one side of the football that featured the Heisman Trophy runner-up, and now are getting set to face the first team to try and repeat as national champions since 2012 Alabama, who came off of an incredible barn burner of a game in the SEC championship against Georgia that year, much the same way Georgia came off a barn burner in the Peach Bowl against Ohio State. And it's just amazing in a year where we are getting the first opportunity for a repeat champion like that in quite some time, the fact that the team on the other side feels so similar in how it got here now obviously massive difference in the fact that that was brian kelly's third season for us at notre dame this is sonny dyke's first year as the head coach at tcu yeah. right now where this is all happening and as you mentioned too certainly the nature of the program notre dame historically uh a university that's competed a lot at that level even if not so much in the last three decades but uh it it was very interesting and compelling to think about and so yes i thought the same thing Hopefully TCU can go out there and put up much better effort than we did on that one. Because as my friends always remind me, we won the tailgate and then not much else. Well, TCU can't win the tailgate since SoFi is not allowing it. So I, I guess we're really going to have to hope that, that things play out differently on the field. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that that was Brian Kelly's third season, obviously, but it was still the same thing. Like Notre Dame is is Notre Dame. And so they're generally going to get the benefit of the doubt coming into the preseason. But it, it was not quite as improbable, but still relatively improbable for the Irish to make that run that year. What, you know, what is your experience in playing 
on a team like that, how could you compare that to maybe what some of the TCU players are feeling, you know, not just this week, but throughout the entire season? Yeah, well, I think a lot get made, got made, too, that there were only a handful of guys on TCU's team that even had bowl experience. Now, yeah. we had had some of that during my time there, but I, I would always say this, the hardest part is the mindset of the team. Like, Rocket Ishmael came in when we I was at Notre Dame at one point and kind of talked to us about, he always said the difference between the good teams and the bad teams that he had been on was the good teams he had been on, it, it's just your approach, how you're wired. He said, walking into the season, you look at the schedule and you see opportunity, you don't see obstacles. And I remember sitting around before that season, I was a fifth-year senior looking at that schedule, and a bunch of us were like, yeah, we could absolutely win all of these games. Like, why wouldn't that be possible? We had a team similar in makeup that was veteran along both lines of scrimmage offensively and defensively. And so I, I think starting there, knowing that, but then, you know, too, I always tell people we were a dead dog average football team for the first four years of my tenure at Notre Dame. You know, Hawaii Bowl, Champ Sports Bowl, Sun Bowl, those aren't bowls you get to for winning a lot of football games. And so – we had been in a lot of situations where it had gotten close or things had gotten hairy and that voice in your head that says, ah, oh, here we go again. Like, where's the bad thing going to come from as opposed to who's going to make the play or better yet. And I think the reason that we were able to win a bunch of close games that year, goal line stand against Stanford, um, you know, the comeback win against Pitt in that season, a bunch of different things along the way is because instead of in critical moments going, oh, who's going to step up and make a play even better than, you know, what's the bad thing going to happen? It was just, no, we're just going to go out the next series and try and do everything that we've been coached to do. People always talk about that cliche next play mentality. We that year, the biggest change we made when my offensive line coach came in is we didn't get up to watch the defensive series whenever we were mm -hmm. on the sideline. We sat over there. We went over what we saw in the last series. We talked to our coach about the looks that we saw, when and how we got blitzed so he could relay that uh, information to the other coaches. And then we sat there and we continued to kind of make sure we were all on the same page because our thought process was every time. Our job is to go out there and put the ball in the end zone when we go out in the field. Our job is to go out there and execute the plays that are called and execute the game plan that we know. What the defense is doing does not matter to us. They're out there to do their thing, and we're out there to go do our thing. And so I think for TCU, I'd imagine, because with most good teams, that's what defeats the idea of momentum is, no, for a skilled team who's coached well and who understands their job the way TCU did in a number of adverse situations this year, it just becomes, I know what my job is on every series. And if we didn't get it right last series, let's figure out why let's talk about the solution together and let's find that and then go back out and try and do it again, as opposed to, all right, someone's got to do something outside themselves. Mm. That's not how you get this consistently. And I don't think that's how TCU got here. Yeah, that's a really interesting point and something I hadn't really thought of, but I certainly noticed that being down on the sidelines um, as a photographer is that that offense is meeting during the defensive plays and the defense is meeting as the offense is on the field. And as the drives continue to extend at some point, you might see a couple of guys get up and encourage them. Uh, but you also kind of mentioned that next play mentality, and that's something that has been preached at the TCU program all season long. If you're down there on the field, that's the only thing you hear. You know, it's just every guy going next play, next play, next play. Um, and I think that kind of uh, goes along with the the hope is a dangerous drug, right? Like yes. when you when you make good plays, when you do your job, when you execute, when you're in those situations and you come out on top, I mean, how much as a, of a player, as a player, do you just kind of start to believe like, okay, we could do this again, or this isn't going to scare us or we're not in a bad position. And you, you play almost loose, I guess, to a degree. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, you know, 
not only like the, like the practice makes perfect thing where it's repetition over time, but you have to see proof of concept. We hadn't won a bunch of games like that. And so early in the season for us, it was, all right, going on the road and winning at Michigan State when they were ranked and then coming home and beating Stanford. I know the big one, and I always think of personally, which is ironic because when I was talking to Parker, he brought up a game against an Oklahoma team as the moment where he thought, oh, we're capable of something special. Same for us. We went on the road to Oklahoma my senior year and beat them pretty decidedly in Norman. And that was sort of the spot where it's like, all right, you know, that was like our second time on college game day that year. And you had started to get used to, all right, these are the extra things that are going to come along with success. These are the things that we need to actually focus on if we're going to continue to be successful. And so it's learning how to make, like people always say like learning how to win. It's just learning how to build the habits and then not letting the results affect those habits as you come Mm -hmm. off. Immature teams ride that high. They go back the next week. They look at the helmet sticker on the side of the team that's coming in. And if it's not as cool or it's not one that elicits the response that human beings are prone to do, then you might not attack the preparation in the same way. And so it's the, it's weird because you're tapping into something you've never tapped into before, but then also having to learn how to respond as if that's been something that's been a part of you all along. And that's to me always where coaching comes in is getting people to buy into things sight unseen before it's built. You show them, Hey, this is the stuff. And for TCU in year one to get those kind of results, I'm sure that's why it snowballs and the message comes faster because all of a sudden, if you're a player and you haven't been doing a lot of winning and they're showing you, Hey, you do things this way and you get these kind of results on the field as a player. Now you're going to redouble your efforts. Now you're going to say, well, I can prepare better. I can watch more film. The things that we did, we can build on that now. And that becomes infectious and contagious, especially when you've got a team with veteran guys who are going to set that example for the rest of the locker room now you were you know you played in the the pre-playoff era and so you kind of had to deal with the 20 plus day layoff between games um so obviously the preparation yeah it's it's glad to have that one out of the way but you know there's nine days for tcu to wait it out um and you know that that balancing you know having one arguably the biggest game in tcu football history and having to go and do this again what is that that nine days going to look like for this program? How do these players manage to stay engaged, stay locked in, and stay kind of buying what the coaching staff is selling when now they've they've kind of come so close to the mountaintop? Yeah, uh, it's it's hard because the one thing I do remember about this time period is it's you start to realize everybody's eyes are on you. And like, again, it's, it's weird because TCU has been a big story all year. We were Notre Dame. So obviously people are going to look at us anyway, but you really start to see like none of the, all the other bowl games are done. No one else is playing anymore. All everyone has to talk about is you. There is no other distraction. There's obviously the NFL, but in your world of the college of college football, you really start to feel the eyes turn on you a little bit. And it's just a weird shift. I don't like, um, it's kind of like in a movie when someone's walking down the hallway and all of a sudden it's just dead silence, right? It's like like eerie silence where you realize, oh, it's because everyone in the room is looking at us. And so it, it's just that same thing of trying as best you can. And this is the challenge for the coaches is to keep it routine. You know, it's it, at, at football teams, I'd say by and large, whenever they travel, you eat the same exact stuff at every meal. Mm-hmm. Like they, they cater to the same exact things. I had the same 
chicken at certain meals. We played seven night games my senior year. We had the same barbecued chicken, mac and cheese, milk and cookies at every meal before nap time in the afternoon because they want it to feel as normal as possible, even when you're going through abnormal situations. That's why that 40-day gap is the toughest part because you got to balance how you're going to rest guys amongst these 15 practices here, how hard to grind them. You're putting in the game plan usually the week before you go down to the bull site. Like I remember running into Mark Cohen, the SID, at um, I was at the Sunday night football game for the Cardinals and they had guys from the team there. Yeah. They had gotten in a couple of days earlier and I'm sure like us, they had already done the whole game plan the week before. So you come in the week of, and you're just going through it again and checking that box. Nine days is a little different. And I'm sure for those guys, cause it's the national championship, you're going to want to get right back at it. But for them, that's the biggest challenge to overcome because George has done this before. They did this last year. And so all of this is familiar with them. The process of getting all the ticket requests in for your family, getting blown up by people, all the media attention that is new for these guys was new for us that year. Like I I have such a vivid, weird memory. I don't know how this is possible in post 9-11 airport security, but when we came back from Christmas break, we were flying back into the South Bend airport to get back and finish the rest of our prep to go. Um, and then to go down to Miami for the orange bowl game. And when we landed at our gate inside the airport was the same, like army of Notre Dame fans who had grown all season long, trying to get us to sign memorabilia inside wow. the airport. And wow. it was just another one of those moments where you're like, Oh, this is all on steroids right now. The whole experience is on steroids. And for Georgia, that is normal. They did that last year. They are. I, I had a friend of mine in the stands at the Alabama game early in that game. We had a play reviewed our tight end. Tyler Eifert caught a ball by the sideline, reviewed it. Uh, it didn't go our way. And my buddy who had played guard for us was at the game sitting in the stands. And he said, a woman, an Alabama fan looked over him and she said, yeah, it's early in the game for these refs too. They usually make a few mistakes, big stage like that. Like they knew because they had been here and they had, even the fans were more experienced at this than our fans. And the value of that isn't felt until something goes wrong in the game. And so, you know, again, just this week is going to be about trying to make things as normal as possible in a decidedly abnormal situation. Well, that's, I mean, that's such an interesting point to bring up because I think one of the things that the dichotomy between the way that Michigan prepared and the way that TCU prepared for that week was so evident. And in talking with Sam Conn of The Athletic, you know, he, he said just how the bus rides to practice were silent for the Wolverines and how everything that they talked about wasn't beating TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. It was winning a national championship. It was a rematch with Georgia. You know, it was getting to that stage again. And so they were so tight. And you said, like, even though they'd been there before, they early on made a, a pretty poor decision to run Philly special on fourth and two after saying all week how they were just going to run over TCU and uh, it came back to bite them. I mean, that's, that's when the TCU players, Johnny Hodges had a great quote of kind of like, that's when we knew we had them. They were running trick plays on like the second, the first drive of the game. We knew that that they were trying to play our game and we just needed to go out and play our game and we were going to be fine. And, and so that, that balance of letting your guys enjoy the moment, letting them have that opportunity, let them, let, letting, letting guys that never get shocked to the media, talk to the media, but also trying to keep things as normal as possible because you still have to go out there and play a football game against the team that's been there before and is used to playing with, you know, the, the, the weight of the nation upon them. So, I mean, that's gotta be one of the biggest challenge facing Sonny Dykes and guys like Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston, and even guys that have been in the spotlight, but I've obviously never been on this type of stage. Yeah, it, it is. It's different. And you're right. It, it part of it too, is you don't want to get tight and overthink things too much. Like the night before we played in the title game, we switched hotels 
all the team had been staying in one hotel and they wanted to kind of get us away from our family and get us away from everything like that and get us to a spot. And, you know, again, like our coaches had been doing the best that they could, you know, Brian had been a part of championships at Grant Valley and and we had coaches on our staff that had experience but just not with this BCS and not with this stage and so you're trying to do what you can to shelter people and ignore the noise like halfway through our season that sign went up in the building ignore the noise what we say here stays here when we leave here type stuff and so again you're doing all of that but there is also this thing of like everyone involved feels the pressure of you want to get this right so badly and you talk about that with Michigan because again they're one of the big brand names in the sport they suffered a tough loss last year on the semifinal stage and they felt like they've slayed so many of their demons I'm sure in beating Ohio State and winning the Big 10 that sometimes it, it, it's a hard thing and it's, you know, it's a hard thing and it differs from group to group. Certain groups are just going to be able to handle that. Uh, and for TCU, maybe there is an advantage of not having been here enough to know better. And yeah, you get to sort yeah. of fly by the seat of your pants there. Ignorance is bliss to a degree, I guess. Right. I mean, that's, that is a thing. Um, and, and kind of in that mode, uh, you know, Georgia's been here. They know they, they are defending national championships. There's a very mature program. Kirby smart seems to have a really good pulse on his team. Is there any chance that, that they come into Monday night feeling the pressure? I don't think they're going to make the mistake of overlooking TCU that, that Michigan may have made, but is there more pressure on them? Or is there is TCU going to be feeling that of kind of being quite possibly the last team that can win a national championship coming from, you know, being unranked in the preseason, not being a blue blood? It, it's only going to get a hard, be a harder path for, for the non-traditional powers when this thing expands. Yeah, I, you know what? I think based on – what we saw in the semifinal, I, I would say George is not going to be one to like flinch in this spot. There certainly is pressure. And I think Stetson Bennett had some really interesting quotes in the lead up about the difficulty in repeating. And he talked about the effect that all of the pats on the back do have on you and how it can make you, Hey, say, all right, I'm going to enjoy this at the expense of my preparation yeah. at certain junctures and how it might make you a little bit inclined to play with your food. Like they did against Missouri and a couple of other teams. And so I think that holds true for then, but I think that program and the laser like focus that radiates from their head coach is like you said, going to apply. And listen also for them, defensively which is what Kirby Smart's built his identity on the last two games they've given a whole bunch of yards I can't imagine those meetings were all fun and good for that defense especially in the last couple of games Kirby Smart was critical and said his quarterback's got to make better decisions in the first so they're not walking into this having played perfect football in the lead up and their coaches having to find creative ways to motivate or get on those guys and so again the biggest thing is like when things started to go wrong for us you could kind of feel the quicksand because especially if it attacks your identity, like our defense had been the strength of our team. And when I saw them getting rolled off the ball by Alabama's offensive line, kind of had that feeling like this might be a long day, had a muffed punt that didn't go our way in that game, had a review on a first down that didn't go our way early in that game. And we didn't respond well enough. TCU, the whole hallmark of their season has been, they haven't flinched in those moments and they've managed to respond it is a bit of a different animal on this stage. And that's the one thing that's hard to predict, but Georgia knowing their pedigree, we saw in the peach bowl down big, didn't flinch, found ways to make the play. That is the, I think the biggest difference of this part is 
not going to be wowed by the lights at kickoff, not going to be wowed by the lights at everything else. And for TCU, all they have proven in the regular season here, there's still a different dynamic to this. And hopefully their experience in the semifinal game coming off that is enough to kind of help bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's such a great point, too, is, you know, they, they, Donovan, uh, uh, I just totally love Edwards, um, yeah. you know, breaks off that 50-plus yard run, and, and you're thinking, oh, God, it's going to be a long day, but Bud Clark tracks them down. And that's when you kind of you kind of start to go, okay, so A, they're not going to get, you know, flummoxed by, by you know, Michigan breaking a big play, but, but B, they can athlete with these guys, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so they belong on the field with them. Um, I, I think it was uh, Shahan Jaraja on the Purple Theory podcast said earlier that, like, listen, like, TCU's got great athletes and, and they have great talent, but this is going to be quite possibly the biggest talent disparity that they've ever faced on a football field. Uh, Michigan's really good, but Georgia is probably a mm-hmm. top three team when it comes to, to talent composite. I haven't I haven't looked at, at Bud Elliott's stuff, but I'm imagining they're in the top two or three of that. How, I mean, you've been on the field, you know, you, yeah. you know how this is. How much how much can like just the maturity of a team, the will of a team, the vibes of a team make up that gap when you are uh, staring across the line at guys, every single one of whom is, you know, one of the most elite players at their position. Yeah. I I think the biggest part of it honestly is going to manifest itself in coaching and how you attack that from a game plan standpoint. Like, we talked about Michigan's decision to go Philly special that early in the game. It's not necessarily saying we're going to go YOLO completely on this thing and we're going to abandon all of the things there. But at the same time, you do have to be willing to take some calculated risk. We've even seen that from the Nick Sabans of the world yeah. in the past. Timely special teams plays, the desire, their willingness and ability to bench a quarterback at the second half and go with a different guy. It is a burn the boats type of game. And so for Sonny Dykes, one of the ways to offset is finding creative ways in the margin to go out here and affect this. Now, TCU's done that in different ways all year long, right? And in this last game, it was taking the ball away and turning it directly into points on defense. It was making them pay for those big-time mistakes early on, but some of this may have to come from the calls and what you decide to do as a coaching staff in this game to offset that because in addition, like Georgia's biggest thing too is in addition to being three deep at five stars at every position, they're also like machine-like in their preparation. Mm -hmm. The most disheartening thing that I can remember as an offensive lineman from a similar defense in what Nick Saban and the Tide ran is C.J. Mosley was the middle linebacker of that defense. And every time we went up to the line to check something in response to their defense, they had an answer. And we could Mm -hmm. see it was coming right from there, where as soon we checked to a full slide, they had two guys coming from the strong side to get a free hitter on our quarterback. They were so dialed in and so prepared for what we had on there and seeing that you're like where where are we going to get some room to breathe here and so it's that it's being as prepared as you can possibly be because on the other side you've got one of the best defensive schemes in college football led by one of the best defensive minds in college football and, and an army full of guys that are incredibly incredibly talented at what they do and so not just as simple as like not getting not letting that really get stuck in your head early in that game if a couple of things do go wrong you know, I think that that Max Duggan has has stepped up time and time again. He didn't play great against Michigan. He didn't need to. Um, you know, other players stepped up. They got they got big plays from their wide receivers. Quentin Johnson after the catch, and Amari DeMarcado had a great game. Uh, but in order to beat Georgia, you talk about the schematic advantage, all of the different things that they're going to have. That's when you have your Heisman Trophy runner-up, your Heisman finalist, and there's one on the other side as well, obviously. Yeah. But 
but you know, you, you got to hope that a guy like that can make some plays. How much of the pressure is going to fall on Max Duggan's shoulders? And based on what you've seen of him all year, uh, is this a moment where he can really rise to the occasion and kind of carry his team bloodied and beaten across the finish line? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting because when you look back on how Ohio State was really able to affect Georgia on defense, I think quarterback run and mobility and tempo on offense were two really huge things for them at critical juncture. They sped Georgia up in a way that made that defense uncomfortable because those guys are perfectionists. They want to go get everyone right, everything in the same spot, come downhill and hit you. And Ohio State made them uncomfortable by speeding things up. You saw guys still getting communication and guys trying to get each other lined up right. And then you combined that with for cj stroud what was an outlier of a game for him yeah we didn't see cj stroud do zone read stuff as much during the season we didn't see cj stroud scrambling as much as he did and so for max who has spent a whole season making plays in the pocket keeping his feet alive making plays in the ground game we saw it in the semifinal game over and over i mean they beat him with like two run plays you run counter and zone read and you prosper but with a quarterback who, listen, Max isn't the greatest athlete in the world, but he's willing, he's tough, and he's fast enough to go and stress the edge of a defense. And so I think both of those things, quarterback mobility, certainly having big-time playmakers like QJ, and then having a team that can up the tempo when necessary, those are both huge things for going and attacking this year's Georgia defense. And you kind of touched on this, and, and it may be a little bit repetitive to ask, but I, I still want to know, like, he's used a two-touchdown dog for a reason right and, and I don't think that many TCU fans feel that that's unfair like it, it makes a lot of sense um the only person that's really believing in them right now is the only person I need and that's Mattress Mac and if Mattress Mac is on board <laughs> then yes. I mean he, he put he put down 1.5 million dollars not on the not on against the spread for TCU to win money line Mac like, I'm telling you, like if this if this dude pays off, he's going to be even more of a hero than he already is, um, and and he will forever have season tickets at TCU for as long as he, he he would like them. But what what is the path for TCU to pull off? I mean, quite possibly the most improbable upset in the national championship game in college football history, or at least modern history. Yeah, I mean, one, you've got to hope that Darnell Washington's not ready to go for Georgia on the other side. They're big tight end. I mean, it, it really, I, you saw the effect that the Michigan injuries in their tight end room had on that yeah. game. It became a huge advantage for Michigan backs on uh, backers on tight ends in that game. And so I, I would say, one, listen, if you catch him at less than 100%, Georgia caught Alabama at less than 100% last year and won a title off, you know, in, in part because of that. They went out there and won it but it was absolutely a difference sure. between the SEC title and that game. Uh, turning the ball over obviously would be huge. Again, if you're able to get yourself an early cushion like that or somewhere along the line, steal those points. And then I think it's just that you got to, you got to try and pace them when it makes sense on offense. You've got to be able to hit your shots. It's like playing blackjack. You're going to sit there and seesaw unless you hit your splits and doubles. And that's deep passes over the middle against this Georgia defense. And you've got a guy that is very well equipped for that. In Quentin Johnson, one of the best in terms of bending the field to his force in the country. And when you've got a guy that big who can also be your move player, it really gives you the ability to give Max a lot of information. And then Max, again, didn't have his best game last week, but still impacted the game a lot with his mobility in the pocket. You talked about a couple of those big plays where he's just buying time and backing up, knowing he's going to get yeah. it out somewhere, or he's toughing out some yards in the run game there. You need him to go and be able to impact the game like that, because the biggest advantage you can have on a juggernaut defense like this, that's built to stop a lot of the modern spread stuff 
stuff is a quarterback that can impact the game in that way. We saw it in the semifinal, and if TCU is going to do something here, it's going to be because Max is able to affect the game in a similar way with his feet. Yeah, I think Parker brought it up that the Tay Barber touchdown and the Quentin Johnson touchdown, he brought it up on your podcast, is they were basically the same play, and that's yeah. get Max running away from the blitz, toss it to a, a receiver in a little bit of space, and let them do what they do well. And obviously, you yeah. know, QJ is a guy that can take that 74 yards or 76 yards, and Tay Barber just made a heck of a play uh, when the opportunity arose. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how how Georgia treats QJ. I don't, I don't think we'll see – Haley Ringo go one-on-one with him too much. I think they're probably going to put, I think they're not going to let QJ beat him, beat them would be my guess. I would say there's going to be two pairs of eyes on him at all times. He seems like a prime candidate wherever he is, because they'll obviously move him around a bunch here. I would imagine whether it's a safety over the top and then playing, you know, a half field safety on the side of the field that he's on or making sure he's bracketed in the slot, there's going to be two sets of eyes on him. And so Garrett Riley, we know very creative formation wise, he's going to try and give him the best shot. But we also know going back to early points in the season, they're not afraid to say, all right, if you're really going to sell out on him, we'll let Tay and the rest of these guys try and go out there and affect this game the best way they can too. Part of that's also going to be protection. I thought TCU's offensive line played about as good. Played probably the best game I've seen from them in person against Michigan in this last week. And that was, you know, guys like Steve Avila and company being able to win one-on-one matchups at times with Mozzie Smith, who was the one you clearly saw. They said running back help his way sometimes, but they did a good job locking him down. Georgia can't, doesn't get after the quarterback statistically nearly as well as Michigan did this season, but they've got a Jalen Carter problem. And for as good as Mozzie Smith is, he's not Jalen Carter. And so how you address that massive humanity during the game is going to be very important because we saw he wasn't able to make him play, make the play and take him down, but there were plenty of times where he showed up in CJ Stroud's face directly through the middle of the field. And so making sure that you've got some stuff early to make 88 uncomfortable is going to be really important. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's it. it's going to be who steps up if if QJ is kind of t- and even when he's like you know against Kansas they tried to take him out of the game plan and and Quentin just kind of said just throw it to me man like we'll yeah. make this happen like and and it's nice to have a six foot four guy that's got speed like a five eleven guy can move like a five eleven guy um, they'll find a way to get him the ball he just might not get the big plays down the middle of the field and that's where I mean maybe maybe this is a Darius Davis game we haven't you know he hasn't been healthy he hasn't he hasn't really had an opportunity the last couple of games this might be his chance to to step up and and be a difference maker because his speed is is kind of hard to uh to replicate at, at any level even for a, a program like Georgia so it's no definitely and and you've got to have that outlet because up front Georgia's going to try to make it chaos right like they are kind of like what TCU sees in the big 12 with Dave Aranda and that defense is simulated pressures, lots of guys up and near the line of scrimmage and you're not really knowing where it's coming from there. And so having a quarterback and receiver where you can dump it off and make big plays to kind of brush back that fastball is huge. Well, and that's going to be what's interesting is, you know, kind of going into the Michigan game, my thought process was, look, if this thing can be within, you know, eight, seven, eight points, nine points. And we've seen TCU adjust really well to these kind of chaotic defenses in the second half. I mean, they were down big against Oklahoma State with a good defense, down big against Kansas State, down big against Baylor in that Dave Aranda front. And once they kind of got their feet wet and were able to make some adjustments, every the fortunes changed. Now, the difference is, is that Riley actually has some time to game prep and prepare when, when you're playing 10 straight weeks or whatever. You don't get that much opportunity. So it's going to be fascinating. I, I mean, you know, my philosophy is is very much if I'm a TCU fan, if I'm a TCU administrator, if I'm somebody tangentially associated with TCU, the Horned Frogs have already won. If I'm a TCU player, this is an opportunity to do something um, 
that not many teams get the opportunity to do. And so um, you hope that that they're still hungry, so to speak, as as they they take the field on Monday night. And I'm sure they will be. Oh, I, I, I'm sure they're starving. It's my favorite moment of every college football season. And, and, you know, obviously my national championship experience wasn't great, but, you know, watching down on the field, how everyone acts, because when you go into that game, before every minute pregame, everyone's got a shot to change their life forever. And then one team on the backside of that is going to be remembered cover, being covered in the other team's color confetti after that game. And you have spent your entire young life at this point leading up to this. You have spent the entire month of December preparing for the semifinal and for this game. Like everything you've done leads up to the moment where you're the only show in town and getting to watch how different guys respond to that and see how it affects guys emotionally sees how they respond to it during the game is one of the absolute coolest things because there is really nothing like it once you kick off and see all those flash bulbs and then you know it devolves into a normal football game you hope from there but everything leading up to it is is such a unique experience and I'm so excited for all these guys TCU and Georgia like to get a chance to you know experience this but especially the TCU guys who haven't been here and been on a stage like this before to to get a chance to grab that moment's awesome. Well, and I'd imagine too, even even if it doesn't go your way, there's after the kind of the initial pain wears off, there's still hopefully a time to reflect and think, man, I got to play for national championship. That's that's what that's why you play the game, right? That's what everybody dreams of, and that opportunity take, sitting take, ahead of those guys takes about two years if you're if you're okay, wondering to get over the stink. Okay, okay. Ta- okay. takes it takes a couple of years, but the only the only issued gear that I have saved from my time at Notre Dame. There's a few items there, but anything that had a BCS logo on it came. And I'm sure anything that's got a CFP logo, it's the cool stuff. I mean, again, like you are already in such rarefied air and in such a small club of people who get the opportunity to do this every year. And what TCU has done within the sport this year, what they have meant as far as a breath of fresh air for it is already secure for them. But it's a lot more fun if you get to lift the trophy, I'd imagine. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping for good things for everybody involved. Well, if what I've spent on anything with that stupid little logo on it is any indication, I'm sure that uh, the TCU players will will be doing much the same. So I, I won't even talk about uh, where my budget has been going for the last three weeks, but it's fine. We're fine. You know, it might be a once in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity. Uh, Mike, tell folks where they can find you on social media and, and the cool stuff that you're that you're doing covering college football. Yeah, absolutely. I was fortunate to get to call college football games on national radio with Learfield Audio this season. I had a great time with them. Hope to do it again next year as well. Uh, The Gojo Show uh, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all that good stuff. Uh, At Gojo Show on Twitter for that one and Instagram and at Michael Jr. on Twitter for me. I will be at the National Championship game as a respected member of the credential media somehow i thought for sure they wouldn't accept that credential it's amazing who they give credentials to right like i feel the same way i'm sitting at the fiesta bowl walking around like hanging out in the media hospitality room with all like my heroes and i'm like oh i belong here i guess or so somebody has allowed me to be talking talking to all these guys i've been reading for a decade It's, it's pretty crazy how we've suckered some people in huh Hey, fake it, fake it till we make it, and don't ask questions. Otherwise, we'll have, have a great seat for the best game in the country. Awesome, man. Well, we look forward to seeing you down there for the game. We'll we'll get you a little purple. We'll make sure that you're rocking the right colors down there on the sideline somewhere, even if it's even if it's incognito. So, really appreciate your time and uh, just your support of TCU. You, you've been one of the biggest proponents of the national media. As you're talking about what a great story and what a great program this is, and, and a true believer. And that's something we'll never forget. It's been a ton of fun to cover, ton of fun to cover this team, and a ton of fun to get to interact with you and so many other members of the uh, folks covering TCU who have been really helpful uh, in doing that all season long and made it fun. Thanks, Mike.